Hello and welcome to the Gentleman's Journal podcast, a weekly discussion all about success, modern business and the lives of entrepreneurs. I'm Joe Bullmore, I'll be your host for the day and I'm joined this afternoon by Nuno Mendes, the world-renowned chef behind Chilton Firehouse, Bacchus and most recently Mausch, the remarkable new intimate dining project whose name I've certainly just pronounced incorrectly. In a fascinating episode, Nuno reveals why it's okay to have no idea what you want to do with your life after university, why it's as important to be pleasant as it is to be talented, and the one food he absolutely can't stand to eat. Nuno, thanks very much for joining us on the Gentleman's Channel podcast. Yeah, pleasure to be here. So yeah. you've uh, eaten, I imagine, at some of the best restaurants in the world and you've cooked at some of the finest kitchens in the world. But what, when was the first moment, even perhaps as a child, when you really realised how special and amazing food could be? Was there a single dish? I think one of the, one of the things that really marked me was the first time I ate raw, <laughs> raw squid. I was in Portugal and... Um, and at the time, there was no Japanese restaurants. And then all of a sudden, one place popped up. Um, this is the first Japanese restaurant in, in Lisbon. And my mm. father took me there. My father was 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 very passionate about food. Uh, you know, he was a real true gourmet. Yeah. So um, he took me there. And it was actually not a sushi restaurant. It was like a, their specialty was sukiyaki and solaki or nabe dishes. But, um, I mean, one, one, one thing that we have in Portugal, we have amazing squid so to eat like raw squid well prepared um with the right dipping i mean that that just got me hooked yeah. i mean b- before that i could talk about my food memories of you know eating the first prawn or trying an oyster or the pores that my, my grandmother used to make but i think that that was a real kind of uh that that really that that really did it for me at the time there wasn't a lot of ethnic cuisines around but because of old colonies i think there was a presence of brazilian Food. There was a very strong presence of Goan cuisine, mm. which for me is still one of my favorites, and I would like to one day hopefully do a project focused on Goan cuisine because yeah. it is uh, food has the Portuguese DNA, but has evolved and, and, and changed over the years um, because it traveled and the ingredients changed. Of course. Yeah. So was food a very central part of your life as a child and in family life? Very much. I mean, my my my, my grandmother and 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 a, and a friend of hers, her assistant, like in the kitchen, they used to cook all the time, and they used to make these really lavish meals. No, I would say lavish, but like um, hearty, hearty meals, <laughs> yeah. like very interesting meals. I mean, and and um, they were both from Delenteja, so like I ate a lot of the food from Delenteja. And then my father was uh, was very passionate about food. And I think I think at the time when he was growing up, he didn't he didn't see the possibility of fulfilling a career. As a chef, so he he went to um, became a pharmacist <laughs> right. because of the mixing. I think he, he enjoyed that side of things, but um, it didn't. Uh, but then he actually later on became a chef. So so he um, he started cooking for a living. So I, I think that passion for food was also brought about because of him. Yeah, but you didn't immediately go straight into food. You were training to be a marine biologist. In fact, in yeah. Miami. I mean, you know, look, it, it's more of a funny story. You know, I mean, it is. I think. I was interested in marine biology, but I, you know, I liked the idea of living by the sea. I mean, I, li- you know, you know, the the dream life of Jacques Cousteau was always very appealing, and I think, you know, why not? I mean, when you're like 15, 16 years old, you see like this guy just traveling around the world, like yeah. sailing around the world, like you know, diving with, with these amazing animals, um, sea, sea animals. I think it was, um, I think, aspirational. You know, like I think every, you know, every kid would probably want to have, have that kind of life, and. Um, and also marine biology, part of the reason why I chose it is because it was, it, was, it was a course that was not available in Portugal. And at the time, I felt that I wanted to go and see the world. I didn't want to stay in Portugal. Hmm. Um, so I had to pick a course that was not available there. Okay. <laughs> so cleverly picked. Um, uh, we had some friends' connections in Miami, so I moved to, I yeah. went to Miami, you know, with the idea of studying marine biology. I did the first two years of, uh, of college in the U.S., Marine biology, but then after that, I decided that wasn't that wasn't the thing that I wanted to do. What moment made you decide that you were perhaps on the wrong course? Well, it's not so much that I was, I was on the wrong course. I mean, you know, it didn't capture me the same way as food captures me. You know, like I mean, when 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 I the emotion that I feel around cooking and and food is much stronger. I, I think at the time I just didn't think like my father. I didn't think there was a possibility to fulfill that as a career. So um, when I first was introduced, you know, when I met friends that were on that path, um, 
some of them that have gone to schools and, and you know when I was by I wasn't almost by accident I was I was invited to go see a friend of mine told me oh you know the school just opened you should go check it out you know like they have an open day and um, so if you if you give it if you go for a tour then they you know you can go for lunch and the food's really good I think it was almost a little bit like that I was like mm, I'll go check it out and then when I saw the facilities and I saw the curriculum and I saw the I saw the space I saw the culture that they were trying to instill mm. or create um, it really it drew me to it and I felt that. This is something that I really want to pursue. You know, it was an immediate decision, but obviously it took a time to to get from point A to point B. So um, that involved me convincing my father that this right. is what I wanted to do. Was that easy? Um, no, it wasn't easy. No, I mean, you know, I think I think at the time I don't think I was particularly motivated by anything or or attracted to any career. So I don't think my I wasn't excelling in classes and my performance in school was like you know I was just getting by you know enough doing as, le- as little as possible to get by and to just have fun, really. I was leaving Miami <laughs> Beach, so it was great. <laughs> um, but it was, um, you know, at the time, I, I, don't, I don't think, I never, I never had proved myself in terms okay. of what I, uh, following a path and sticking with it, you know. I, I judged, but again, I wasn't motivated by, by education at the time. I felt that um, school was pretty boring. Um, the teaching methods in Portugal were... Were, were very poor at the yeah. time. So having a different, yeah, having a school that was a lot of teachers that were a lot more engaging, I could see my performance getting much better. But then I got to that point, I was like, well, you know, I can just do enough to get by and then just mess around and just yeah. have fun. But um, yeah, so it took a while to convince my father and we made a deal that he would support me on that decision, but I would have to come back to the Alentejo and work in our farm for a year and become a farmer. Wow. You know, and I think it was... You know, he later told me that that was his way to say goodbye to me because he knew that I was not going to come back. So um, in a sense, I mean, for him, it was a way to find, to spend the last sort of six months to a year with me, you know, yeah. because life is like that, you know. Of course. Um, you know, at the time, I, I think, you know, I was 22, 20, 20, 22 years old, I think, at the time. Hmm. And I tell you, I mean, the last place I wanted to be is in Dillian yeah. Tej, you know. It's like, a long way from Miami you know, Beach. You know, I'm, I'm Miami Beach, you know, this is good. <laughs> you know, like I'm having a really good time here. I'm partying a lot. Um, it was dangerous over there. It was too much fun. <laughs> so um, I had to get out. So okay. it, was probably, it, was probably, it, it was a good thing that I got out. But, yeah. um, but the drastic change to go from there to the middle of nowhere in Dillian Tej, it was, it, was not, it was not cool. Okay. I was not happy about that at the time. I was, I was pretty pissed off. Right. But, and, um, and working on a farm for a year, that must have been actually pretty useful training for what was to come. You know what? When I look back at it, it, it was incredible. That experience was, was really probably one of the most valuable experiences that I've had in my career that, that really layered my hmm. understanding of cooking. And, and I mean, it's it just understanding the cycle of life, understanding how things, where things come from. You know, understanding um, agriculture, raising animals. You know the you know the killing of an animal and mm. and, and just the, the life the life of a farm, which is yeah. hard. I mean, it's 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 full on. I mean, it's twenty four hours. It does not stop. You know, I mean, it's not like a shop. You can just shut it. You know, come back at you know, shut it at six and come back at nine. You know, like or come back at eight thirty and open it. It doesn't work like that. You know, animals need to be fed all the time. They need to be tended to. You know, the same with the fields. I mean, there's always something to do. Yeah. So it was a, it was a full, it was an amazing experience. I mean, at the time I was in the wrong place at the right, you know, I was in the wrong place at the right time. I was, you know, I was in the right place at the right time. Yeah, I mean, I think they gave me such a, a grounding and a, a great understanding that I feel like when I moved to California after that, I really felt um, like I had a lot of tools mm. and I was I was ready for that challenge. Did it make you in any way kind of, sentimental or, or did you get attached to the animals in, before very much so very much so yeah very much i mean i was very you know i've always we've always had animals you know we've always had dogs you know different pets around and i was so i've always been i've always had a really nice relationship with with with, with our pets um and then dealing with 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 bigger animals um and tending to them really i mean i was i was you know i remember when when first calves were born like i was i was the one that used to go feed them Mm. So for the first days, because obviously they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't um, stick together with the with with the mother. Otherwise, the milk um, there'll be problems with the milk. So we had to separate them at birth. So I was the one basically they used to tend to them. Wow. Um, and then so, yeah. one you had to slaughter them. 
No, we we, we never did anything like that in in house. I mean, okay. we did we did the, the matanza, like the killing of the pig, once in a while every year. But yeah. um, that was part of uh, it, was, it was a tradition, a cultural tradition though, that's been happening in Portugal for many years. But not with not with the not with the not with animals, not, not right. with cows. And, yeah. No. So after that, then you moved to California to join this culinary school, Correct, which was yeah. essentially a cordon bleu style cooking school. Yeah, it was accredited. It was accredited by the Cordon Bleu, but it was um, in San Francisco. I mean, San Francisco. I wanted to go to California. I wanted to move to California. Part of the reason, I mean, why I decided not to stay in that school in Miami because I didn't feel like it was. I mean, I'd been to Miami. I spent four years in Miami. I knew the city, um, and it was a very Miami has a very strong sort of Latin American, mainly Cuban, Central American influence. Um, but I feel like that's the strongest. That's kind of like the the main the main focal point there, or the main the main food sort of influence there. Um, with San Francisco, is a whole different story, you know. Like I mean, you have a it's the gateway to Asia, so like I mean, you have a lot of uh, amazing Vietnamese, uh, Chinese, uh, Thai, Japanese, Korean. You have you know a very strong presence of Mexican mm-hmm. and Latin American culture. You know, there's still a, a nice European tradition there as well. Uh, and a, a very a very European presence felt th- throughout the city, and the city feels very European. And then you have the product. I mean, you have you know the Pacific Northwest fish. You have the amazing, uh, the amazing the soil around you know around there, Napa, Sonoma. Yeah. Uh, from the wine, the product. I mean, is incredible. It's a, it's a great place to cook. Mm. You know, I mean, the the connection to the to the to the product, uh, the the multicultural pantry. You know, and it's a fun city to live in as well. I mean, it's a beautiful city, so I, I wanted to go to a place like that. Yeah, and what, what what did you learn there? What was the mix between the kind of very practical side and the practical skills, technical skills, knife skills, for example, and the more creative side, building a menu, understanding how different things might work together, experimenting with flavors? I really felt like I was I was getting the right tools. And I remember, like, uh, you know, I had the butterflies in my stomach the day before I started school because, you know, it's a big step. And you think about it, like, you know, is this, you know, you basically, you put, you know, putting all your chips on red, right? And you're saying, right, you know, this is it. You know, it's either, you know, we hope that, you know, I hope that this is it. You know, it'd be very disappointing if it's not, you know, because um, you almost feel like you found a path. Uh, And I feel like, you know, know, I think the pressures that we all had, you know, in our early 20s, you know, I think seeing friends that didn't find their path, they're kind of lost, they're trying to figure out what to do. You can see that there's no motivation. I, I knew myself that I wasn't particularly motivated to do anything else. So I was a bit nervous about not finding my path and, and, and finding, you know, entering the school. And I remember on the first day, I mean, I came out feeling so inspired. And so, I mean, the, the class that I had was actually not a particularly exciting one, but it just... But I felt that I made the right choice, mm. um, and I still—it's weird because I, from that day onwards, I, I felt my connection with food, my passion for it, my my um, my certainty that I was in the right—that this is the right path for me. It was—it just grew and grew and grew. Yeah. So um, I think I, I got to the. You know, you get to the point where you graduate, and you and you think, well, you know, so far. I mean, at the moment, I've been paying to do this, so it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure, you know. But um, how's that going to work when actually somebody starts paying me? Yeah, um, or they have to pay me. You know, like, will anybody ever pay me to actually work for them? What but was your really, first job in a kitchen? Um, my real first job was with. Uh, I went to work with Wolfgang Puck. You know, at the yeah. time he was well known, and um, and he had a place called Postrio in um, in San Francisco, and it was it was a real amazing. It was a great continuation of the school because, I mean, it was a massive restaurant um, that had a lot of different sort of facets. They had their own butchery there, their own pastry area there. I mean, like, you know, we made all our breads. We made bagels. We made, like, chocolate chip cookies. We made Mm. ketchup. We butchered all the animals. Um, You know, we used to get whole tunas coming in. I mean, everything was done in-house. So, you know, charcuterie. I mean, I learned so much. You know, we used to make our own pasta. Uh, Everything was made in-house. So it was a great way to apply a lot of the knowledge that I that I picked up in school, and then also like and uh, further it really. Yeah. So that was a that was an amazing experience as a first, and it was a great team. I mean, I remember like the chefs there were really good. I mean, um, they're very. It was a friendly kitchen. I right. feel like I wanted to go into a kitchen where there was a 
camaraderie. I mean, there was a nice feeling in the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, there's a the seniors were very keen to educate and to share their experiences with the younger chefs. So, um, which is nice. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, you get to a lot of kitchens where you, you come in, you're the young guy and like, you know, and people just throw you in the corner and start like, you know, throwing stuff at you and Literally. saying like, you know, do this, do that, do that. And, and you have no reason, you have, no one explains to you why you're doing anything. Yeah. They just want to get on with it and get faster and faster. I've always believed in having a nice kitchen, having a, a friendly kitchen, working. You know, it, it's a you know, it's an it's an emotional. There's an emotional attachment mm. attachment to the product, to the food, to what you're doing. So, create an environment where that where that is possible. And I've, yeah. so I seek those environments as well. And the school was like that as well. Yeah. Why is it that that restaurants and kitchens in particular have such a reputation for tempers and arguments and very intense atmospheres? I think that's changed. That's changing now, uh, thankfully. But um, I mean, it, kitchen work is hard. You know, I mean, it's 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 brutal. You know, it's physically demanding. It's 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 um, it's tolling on your body. I mean, it, it's long hours. I mean, a lot of kitchens are not particularly well equipped. You know, you're working. You know, I think we have a new, a younger generation of chefs that believe in what they're doing. They really love that career path and they're there because they they chose to be there but i think not so long ago the different i think it was almost like the misfits of the world fell right. into kitchens <laughs> and uh so you wind up so the environment is very different so you know there's anger there's frustration you know you know again there's the pressures of service which are you of know uh, obviously enormous i mean you know there's the you know the front of house pressure. I mean, like all the animosity, like working in a basement in many many places, working in a in a basement not ventilated for eighteen hours. Of course, you know, on on and on. I mean, it just it was it was not a it was not pleasant. There's not there's nothing romantic about it. No. It was it was brutal and, and hard. Yeah. So you've got to have a certain mindset, don't you, to want to dive into that? You do. You yeah. do. I think you do, and I think you have. Um, you need a lot of patience, a lot of perseverance, a lot of strong will. I mean, a lot of a lot of physical stamina to keep going with that. Mm. Um, and also, like, yeah, and then you know, to fight your corner, to, and also to try at same at same time to try to express a little bit of what you have, because I feel like you know that's that's one of the things that makes a difference. You know, in in, in this in this industry is like it's it's. Is your personal touches, your personal story, yeah. like your your where you've been, you know. I think when chefs convey a little bit of their own emotion, their own history, their own stories, their own um, the way they look at food, when they propose that, you can see that. And I feel like a lot of people are drawn to that. And yeah, I'm, I'm I'm drawn to that. And after America, you went to El Bulli, which is obviously one of the most esteemed restaurants in the world. I did stage that. I was staging there. I was not working there. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah but yeah. you visited there because you yeah. wanted to know what it was like, this incredible restaurant. What drew you to that in particular? Just, I arrived at El Bulli, and I, I, my 30th birthday like, was the day before we started we started working. And, um, and I remember I wanted to do... I wanted to do my own food and I wanted to be, I wanted to do something that was mine, that was personal. I wanted to tell, you know, learn and, and tell my stories hopefully one day. Um, and I wanted to see a place like that because I feel like coming from America at the time, I think a lot of places that I've been to, that I was working at, it was, they're really businesses, you yeah. know, and there was creativity involved, but it was very much a business. And this is, a creative expression. I mean, this is someone just going as far out as they, you know, just just doing something amazing and you know just following their passion, of course, and trying and trying to build a business around that rather than going the other way. Um, and I think that's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see that and the, that reassurance and being there really made me feel like this is possible. It's it's hard to achieve, yeah, but it's possible, you know. And I I feel like that was the. I think more than looking at the food, I went there for that reassurance, for to see for myself, mm. um, and then see how amazing it was that they were drawing people from all over the world to come and spend time there, to stage there, um, and they were teaching. It became such an amazing school, you know, just being there. Yeah, uh, having met so many people that came out of that school. I mean, you know where they are now. I mean, they're all almost free thinkers, you know, and I, I really enjoyed that about that education, that time spent at Al Bulli. 
you had the loft project of course which was i suppose the the groundbreaking kind of supper club where members of the public would come dine in your flat and you and expert chefs would cook for them in a very intimate setting did it feel pioneering at the time when you did that it did it felt very special i mean look i've done a couple of projects that i feel like that i'm very proud of um that was a that was a real special one you know the energy there and you know is is it, we really broke ground between the guest and the mm. and the, the the chef it became it became such a such a tighter a closer bond a stronger yeah. bond you know you know like bringing people into our space my house and interacting with them and then you know at a at a dinner party type of setting yeah. you know, but proposing a food that is comparable to uh, a nicer restaurant yeah <laughs> Did did you make friends for life? How intimate was it? Have you got? I did, I yeah. did. We made a lot of friends, and and I still see people coming to my new ventures, my my other ventures that that I met there, and that, wow. and, and and we have that that we have that layer closer because of those times, because that's when we we kind of kind of like broke the ice, you know. Yeah. It's different, you know. When you have a restaurant, you know, you go to the table, you say you greet your guests, you know, but but it's a it's a momentary. You know, it's very hard to engage at times because you have, you're conducting a service and it involves a lot of other tables, a lot of other people. But when you are focused on that one table, you can really immerse yourself and you can really become a host and really have fun and really engage with the guests. You know? And that's what we do at Mouch now. Yeah, exactly. I want to come on to that in a bit. Sure. But your... Um it's restaurants are famously unforgiving businesses as much as they yeah, are to work in. They're because hard. you can be up one month and down the other and, and yeah. as soon as you know it, you're in piles of debt. And you've had some tough times amongst your successes. Yeah. Bacchus, for example, yeah. was um, a, a, a very well-esteemed restaurant, but you had tough times there. How did you get through that? Well, you know, I've always somehow, you know, maybe it's something... Uh, naive or foolish of mine uh, of me uh, to be like this but I've always um, I don't know I just believe in what we do you know and I know like you know we're our propositions are challenging you know I mean it's not we're not opening in the middle of Hoxton Street or or middle of Mayfair I mean yeah. like you know we're opening Hoxton Square you know Hoxton Street which is at the time was pretty rough when was that 2000 um, 2006 yeah so it was, it was a very different. Yeah. Hoxton was, I mean, East London was, was non-existent. There was no food scene in East London, really. I mean, you know, look, um, nod to uh, Mark Hicks. I mean, he was there with Rivington and the Trois Garçons. Um, but there's very little. There's not much happening there, you know. So the proposition of coming to a pub, to an old pub in, um, in the middle of nowhere, you know, and, and Hoxton Street was the middle of nowhere, really. Yeah. Very different from Hoxton Square. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was a hard proposition, and I think, and, and what we, what we offered our guests was also not, you know, it's not that you come in, it's like right, you know, steak and chips, I make sure it's tasty, and <laughs> crack on. No, yeah. like, I mean, we just we're pushing them. They arrived, and then we pushed them even further. So, um, but it was fun. But, but you know, again, I've made friends for life on that experience, yeah. and and I think we became a lot of. That was a project, really, that in a sense that. That marked my arrival in London. You know, like uh, I felt that I arrived in London, and when I did that project, you know, I had a lot of pe- a lot of friends, a lot of a lot of a lot of our guests really were incredibly supportive, and they really and they're still coming to my venues now, and they yeah. still believe. And I feel like that that moment was was one of the nicest moments in cooking for me because it was so free. It just it, it's all about cooking. It was just raw and. There's raw energy and and yeah, like things worked, things didn't work, but there's such a cool. It was, it was raw. It, mm. it really felt raw, and there's no politics, there was no BS. I mean, it was just cooking, yeah, and just having fun, and just and just pushing yourself and pushing your guests. And I don't know, it was it was exciting. Yeah, I think everything else became a lot more. You know, I think being a bigger bigger operations or slightly more contrived. I mean, it's not as free, it's not as pure as that was. You know. Yeah. So I think that's probably some of my best cooking was there. <laughs> Chefs, in some ways, remind me of kind of Renaissance artists because you've got this kind of grand vision, but ultimately you need someone's money to bring it to life. Yeah. How have you gone about finding that money and finding financiers to back your projects? It's hard, you know. I mean, there's always compromise, you know. And, and uh, you know, you know, I, you always wish, you know, I think we all wish we were like <laughs> independently wealthy to be yeah. able to do whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> but, um, I, uh, yeah, it's a compromise, you know. I mean, it, it, you know... 
I think with the good, it comes the bad, you know. I mean, if you don't have the, the financials to be able to do something, you have to find people that can help you. And then I guess you pick the least worst. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I must say that I still really long, and, and maybe I'm a very difficult person, but I still long for that one real partner, yeah. you know, someone who's got a real aligned vision with what I would like to achieve and what I would like to to do and, and someone that believes and wants to do the same things. And, yeah. you know, it's a hard one to find, you know, and, and to do that and do that and make it financially viable is, is, is even harder. Yeah. You know, um, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's a hard one. So I've had, I have several partners in different businesses and, you know, I think we all work, you know, we work on certain things and it works out like that. Yeah. But, but we won't work on others, but to find a one aligned partner that we go with, that I go with on, you know, on, on the, from here forward, I still don't have that. Yeah. And one of your partners is, of course, Andre Ballas, who's yeah. the founder of the Chilton Firehouse, which perhaps is your most famous project. Um, Firehouse became kind of associated with celebrity culture a few years ago. Was that a deliberate choice to bring in the big names or did that just happen? No, I mean, the, the Firehouse, you know, we always wanted it to be a fun restaurant. Um, I spent a fair bit of time in North America and we wanted to create that sort of that fun, the fun dining that you find in um, some places in New York and San Francisco and L.A. And um, and I think people just liked it and they they, they came. And so, yeah. you know, I think we're, we're very fortunate. I mean, obviously, like, it took a long time to, you know, it's not a project that was just, it's not something that we, it was built in three months. It's something that was built over a long period of time. There's a lot of thought and a lot of, a lot of energy, a lot of passion poured into it and... You know, and obviously, you know, it's a financial, you know, is you know, it's not a, is it was a, a big project, you know. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it's, you know, I'm incredibly proud of it. Of I feel like it's a, it's an amazing project and, and it's almost five years now. Yeah. And it's uh, still going, you know, still going, still going well and still going strong and, Yeah. Did that celebrity attention, I mean, I remember oh, in the yeah. early days, it was kind of a, a mad strobe light of flashbulbs outside there because there were so many people getting out of taxis. Did that help you or did it sometimes cloud people's vision of the restaurant and your cooking in particular? Well, I mean, it, it, was, it was just, it, it was just, um, it was a very hard place to get into at the time. Yeah. You know, it was just, it was just, there was a lot of, a lot of people wanted to come in and sadly we couldn't fit everyone in. So, you know, I think it polarized people, but yeah. But um, we're still going, you know. Of course. That's yeah. the one metric. Yeah. And I remember your, um, there was a chicken Caesar salad there. Still there. Still is, which was yeah. kind of went down so well. But a chicken Caesar salad, you kind of think it can only be so good. What What about yours <laughs> was was so different? How did you make lettuce and, and chicken and croutons that good? I don't know. We just, we just try <laughs> to capture, uh, you know, the best parts of the season and try to transport it. Um, again, I think I think I'm not a stranger to that to that dish, and I think that spending time in New Mexico with Mark Miller, I mean, that was huge. Because I mean, um, when I used to work at the Coyote Cafe, there was a, I mean, we used to make the dressing on the table, and that was it was fun, but it was like you you'd go down hard on that one. <laughs> That's what, like, if you got it wrong? Yeah, if you get it wrong, it's like, it's it's a pain. Yeah, yeah you really need to so get it right. So you make the whole dressing live Yeah, the whole thing was table side, yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, like, we did it for a while and then, and then we started doing it in the kitchen. We okay. felt like it was probably safer. Yeah, that is. But it was, um, yeah. But I mean, I still think that like, you know, Mark Miller's dressing is still the inspiration for that, okay. for that dish, you know. Yeah. And so how, when you're thinking of a new project like that and you're approached by someone to, to do the kitchen at Firehouse, for example. Yeah. How do you go about creating a new menu? What's step one on that journey? I was really I was really happy that I was able to do that because I remember thinking to myself that I've spent so much time in North America. You know, I spent 15 years cooking there. Mm. And of course, it formed me, it, it, it shaped me. Um, but it would be nice to put that into a pot and do a concept that is based on that. So... Um, when Andre approached me about the project, I mean, it really gave us a, you know, gave me a chance to really put all that, all the, all those 15 years of experiences, things that I've learned, recipes like passion, you know, what I felt there, turn it into a place. So yeah. it, was, it was great. So the first step was really to to start thinking about my memories and the dishes that marked me, the the place that marked me, the menus, 
um, how do I want to do what, you know, how do you start the menu? How, how do you go about designing a menu for that place? Um, for, you know, how, how, how is the menu going to be for, um, formed? I mean, how do you want to convey? What's the style of service? Um, all that. Yeah. And a restaurant is so much more, obviously, than just the menu. Absolutely. And it's the atmosphere, the dining room, the staff, even the, the way the tables are laid out on the floor. How involved do you get in that kind of magic formula? We're very involved. I mean, you know, and, I, and again, I f- look, we always wanted the food at the firehouse to be incredibly tasty, of course. But for me, the firehouse is the, is, it's the firehouse. Everything is, these are all the layers, the food, the service, the drinks the space but but you're there mm. so all these layers should never speak louder than the place itself if that makes sense you know yeah and i find that at the time especially when we open i think you know even with, you know with my my old restaurant which i love very much viajant i mean it was such a serious restaurant and i felt that you know i didn't i didn't want it to be serious but i feel like the tone when the guests came in was very serious and i really feel like dining is, is fun you know and socializing and I have kids now, and, and I know I interact with a lot of my friends have kids as well, and, and, and our attention span is quite short. I mean, we, we, we work a lot. We, you know, we wake up very early because of our kids. I mean, we live hectic lives. So mm. when we go out, we want to have fun. We want to party. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, you want to you know, have amazing food, amazing drinks, but you want to have fun. You don't yeah. want to be too serious. Um, and I feel like the firehouse was really... That's, that's, I mean, I still feel like a night at the firehouse is one of the best nights in London, you know? Definitely. Arguably the yeah. best, you know? I mean, I still love going there, you know? I mean, I, I, I work there and I still go there, yeah. you know, socialize. And I think it's, it's one, you know, it's my favorite place to go to. Of course. You know, it's fun. Well, you must invite me next time you, you're going down. <laughs> I shall. Um, Charles Corrin, the restaurant critic at the Sunday Times, said you are every restaurant critic's oh. secret favorite <laughs> chef. <laughs> what do you think he means by that? Why, why is it I a secret? Know. I don't know. <laughs> he's a funny one. He's, he's, he's said great things about me. He said horrible things about me. So like, <laughs> I think now like we're just somewhere like in the middle. Okay. I like him. I think he's funny. And he, he's, um, he's actually written like a... A really shocking review of uh, of uh, Taberna, okay. and I mean something that even the Portuguese president was insulted by, and like you know, he was on he was on TV as of, as a result. Um, right. I thought it was really funny, and, and look, you know, I, I like the guy. You know, yeah, you know, we're not buddy buddies, but you know, I think he's a funny guy, of course, and I, I like his writing, and I think you know, he, you know, I respect him. Yeah, what's your general view on restaurant critics? Because they can they wield a lot of power in the restaurant world. They do, but I feel like they're losing power now. I feel like social media, the all the blogs, the Instagram. I mean, I think at one point they were the voice because there's no other voice. It's very hard to get information unless you went to a place. But now everything is so visible that they're losing that voice. And I think that they are becoming dinosaurs of of this industry. And I think that, that most of them are struggling to keep up. Um, and t- I don't think they have that sway. I think now we we can see right away, I think, you know, through social media. I think we get a better sense of whether or not we're going to like this. And, and so now, I mean, you know, ultimately, I think I think a lot of a lot of I think the good critics are very objective. Some of the not so good critics are not very they're, they're quite it, it becomes personal to them. And yeah. I feel like that's when they start failing, when they when they when they when you see that it's their opinion is not just not being objective. I mean, sometimes you don't necessarily like the cuisine, but you have to respect the fact that it's well executed. Yeah, it, it's not to your liking, but it is good. And, and you know, I think it's very hard for most critics to actually rise above that and be able to give an objective review of something of a place that they don't particularly mm. like. Get excited about themselves. When you walk into one of your restaurants and everyone's on their phone, does that anger you a bit? Depends where you are. I mean, you know, I think at the firehouse or Taberna, I mean, I think it's it's natural. Mm. You know, I don't think, you know, I think we all, like, man, I spend so much time on my, my phone as well. You know, probably not taking pictures. I, I, I don't particularly like to take pictures at restaurants. I find that I, 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 don't, I don't like that. I don't like, very rarely I have, you know, um, do I post pictures of, of pictures that yeah. I take um, of food or something like that. Sometimes I take one picture for memory, but very rarely. Um, but I accept it as natural. Um, I think, that, you know, at Mounch, for instance, we ask our guests to politely not take 
too many pictures because I feel like when you're dining, you know, with guests that you don't know around the same table, it becomes, I don't think it's particularly polite to start snapping away. Yeah. So out of respect for the environment and for the guests around, we ask them not to take pictures. And also because we feel like it would be nice to retain an element of surprise. I feel like some certain projects you want to come in and discover. Yeah. And I feel like it's so many times you just walk into a restaurant and you know every single step of the journey. It's been so well documented so many times. I think it works for certain restaurants, but I feel like for that particular experience, which is a very intimate sort of 16, 16 guest experience around the table, hmm. um, I don't think that that's, you know, I prefer for that to be kept um, more private, you know? Yeah, of course. So Mausch is, we should say, your new project, I suppose. It's it is. only yeah. a few weeks old. Um, I think a couple of months now. A couple of months, yeah. 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 And it's uh, essentially, is it 12 people in a dining room? It's a 16, the capacity is 16 guests. Yeah. So we sit anywhere between 12 and 16 guests. Yeah, and it's a kind of a, a return to the Loft Project style where you're sitting intimately in a dinner party scenario with a group of people. Why did you decide to go back to that? Well, because I miss doing the food from Viajant, you know, and I feel like uh, since we closed, I felt like I've been wanting to do that food. I've been wanting to take time, think about it, and and, and, and at some point reignite that, um, start that again. But I wanted to do it in an environment, I feel like at the moment where things are now, the way the world is, I mean, I don't know, I feel like this is where I am, I guess, I mean, that's the kind of experience that I wanted to to give. I wanted to offer that food, but I want to offer, you know, like it's trying to marry two things that I felt very happy about. You know, I love what we did food-wise at Viajant, and I love the experience of hosting at the Love Project. So I wanted to bring those two together because I feel like that's almost the, for me, that's almost the perfect sort of environment, you know? Yeah. You're getting your guests to immerse themselves and feel like they're at a dinner party and and have fun and really socialize and really have a real sort of uh, intimate experience. Yeah. Um, free, not too formal, I think. Yeah. Reasonably formal. I mean, when the guests are there, they can roam, they can come into the kitchen, they can spend time in the wine room, they can sit at the table, they can have, you know, we follow them where the, where they go with the food. So wherever <laughs> they decide to go, we'll, we'll okay. <laughs> we just walk around with the plate behind. <laughs> but um, yeah, so... Um, but to create that, that kind of experience, but in a in a in a fun, sort of casual and, and friendly space, you know. Yeah, and I'm always interested in restaurant names and Mausch, my dreadful pronunciation there, but that means Sorry. hands in means hands in yeah. English. So why have you decided to name it that? Well, we always try. Um, I, I I try to make the name progressively harder and harder every single restaurant <laughs> except for the Chilton Firehouse I mean it okay. goes from uh, uh, Viajante which is everybody's like how the hell do you pronounce that like everybody <laughs> pronounced it wrong Viajante etc then Taberna which is a mouthful Taberna do Mercado that's even harder to pronounce and now Mausch it's like a bloody till that no one can pronounce <laughs> people call it Mausch Mausch yeah, yeah. so um, yes yeah, <laughs> I'm on a quest to get uh, okay, <laughs> try right. to get harder and harder no but um Mauj means hands in Portuguese, and uh, and it is, I think it does reflect the fact that it's such a tactile, uh, such a an involved experience, and it's such a personalized experience, something that is handcrafted, something that is handmade, something mm. that is very personal, um, something that is passed on from one person to the other. There's a that connection. Yeah, um, that's why we chose a name. And how many courses do the guests get? Are they kind of surprised along the way? Do they know what they're no, in for? No, no, the menu gets at the end. I really, I enjoy that. I, I like, I think the element of surprise is such an, such an exciting part of dining when you go into that kind of experience. I mean, you know, if you come into a three-course menu, like, you know, a normal restaurant, you know, yeah, you order, I want this, I want that, I want that. But when you come to a place like this, I think it's nice to just, you take you take your hands off and you just let, you know, we, we, we guide you through it. We... We steer you in the hopefully the right path, you know. Yeah. Are there any cliches or conventions in the restaurant world that you're particularly tired of that you'd like to banish forever? I don't like the idea of the customer's always right. I don't know. Like for me, like I see whoever's in in our dining room, there are guests, and there's a dialogue, and I feel like at times that you see that there's an imbalance. There's a there's an imbalance between a, of position, you know. I think 
um, the idea of I'm the guest, I'm the paying guest, and you're just the servant. I don't like that, and I, I don't, yeah. and I feel like sometimes you still see that, and I find that the passion that the people have, people that I've worked with in front of house, you know, the dedication, the the passion, the knowledge, you know, like I'm, I think I think we should all be on the same footing. It's an yeah. exchange, you know. We're offering something, and, and the guest is getting something. You know, there is a, and I think that 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 it's an old-fashioned to have that position, that sort of mm. that sort of attitude. I know. Are there, are there any food trends at the moment that you particularly annoyed by? I feel like there's a, like the, that sort of the dude food's been going on. It's been going on for so long. You know, dude like, food being what kind of bacon and yeah, just the burgers and the yeah. rabbit, like. And the dogs. I mean, like, I, I like, yeah, sure. I like a little bit of it, but, you know, I don't know. I just feel like there's too much of it. Yeah. You know? It seems like that's been going on for a while. It's been like going for a while, you know? Messy. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I understand, you know, like, I like it, but I, I don't, I'm not crazy about it, no. you know? Cool. And I feel like there's way a lot, there's way too much of it. Are there any kind of food vans or young chefs or new projects you've spotted in the last few months that you think really have legs, could, could go somewhere special? Yeah, there's one chef, there's one project, Perilla, which I'm really, they're well known already. He's, he's, a, he's a proper maverick. He's, he's very creative. And I think what he's doing, I'm not sure how long it's going to last. I'm not, I'm not wishing anything <laughs> bad to that restaurant at all. But, uh, but I'll, I'm very curious to follow his career. I feel like he's going to be, he's, he's a real creative expression. I think he's a very talented Chef, and I think that you'll go very far. Where is Perillo, and where can we find um, it? Newington Green. Okay. Are, are there many big mistakes you see young food entrepreneurs or restaurateurs make more than any others? I don't know. I mean, like it's so, it's so hard to set up a restaurant these days. You know, it's it's just so expensive. Um, and I was saying earlier, before, you know, how when I went to El Bulli, it's so refreshing to see a restaurant that is not set up as a business, is is or is a passion an expression, and then a business behind it. Um, and I feel like a lot of, a lot of, I think there's a conflict, you know, there's there's young chefs trying to do something creative and expressive and different. And I think that that's what, in a sense, we need to have places like that in London. That's what captures people's um, imaginations. That's what drives people. I think that these, these projects are, I think make us all very proud as Londoners, you know, to have these, uh, these expressions here. Um, but I feel like it's very hard these days to do that because landlords are getting greedier. I think, you know, setting up a restaurant from the cost of goods, I mean, the, the infrastructure that it requires is, is, is hard. It's, it's, it's hard and, and you can't, I think you're losing that sort of, uh, we're losing a little bit of that independent spirit. It's, it's very hard for you to just say, screw it, I'm gonna open my own restaurant. I'm just gonna go to the bank or try to find some money and just yeah. open the restaurant, you know. You, there's so much compromising along the way before you, when you set out to do that, be, between then and the time you actually open that, by the time you actually get it off the ground, maybe it just doesn't feel like it's yours anymore. Or, yeah. or there's so many layers to it that are so foreign to you and, you know, so much money going out in so many different ways that you feel like, shit, you know, where the hell am I going? You know, yeah. you know? And, then, and then you wind up, you know, things just get sort of lost, you know. Of course. And restaurants open and close. And, and every time they close, they cost money. Yeah. And every time they open, they cost money. And <laughs> It's a lot of money. Yeah. And then, you know, and you set up places and you open in areas where you feel like, you know, you go there because it's cheap and and you like the area. And then and then your landlord will tell you, well, you know, the rent is now double. <laughs> and because you've, you know. You've made it. You contributed to that. Yeah. And then you, you're told to be uh, take a hike and somebody else will come in. So, wow. You know, yeah, it does happen, you know. And it London, happens a lot. London's particularly cruel for that, I imagine. It is. You know, I didn't like New York because of that. I felt that New York was really changing. Having lived in New York in the late 90s, early 2000s, I felt that New York was really changing and is becoming very cutthroat like that. Mm. And, and I liked London because it wasn't like that. And I feel like now London... We're getting into that as well, yeah. which makes me sad. Where do you think the London dining scene will be in the next five years, next ten years? I hope it's recovered, but I know I know that we're on for a, a tough period ahead. One one thing that I, that it will happen more and more is the shift will go from the centre to the neighbourhoods. Yeah, I think central London is you know it's it just becoming 
less attractive, less competitive as a proposition. It's just like you know, you know. I think I think most of us live in neighborhoods, and we have a nice relationship with our neighborhoods. We have our friendships. We have the spaces that we like to go to to champion. And I feel like um, those spaces are more available. Mm. They're more affordable. And because you're surrounded by friends and people that support your projects, you're likely to succeed. More likely to succeed. And I feel like central London is becoming more and more. I think I think there's, there's going to be a massive shift. Yeah. In central London, I think you're going to find like central, you know, New York City. Manhattan, more and more corporate businesses, less independent spirit yeah. on the streets, you know, which is sad. And what advice do you have for someone who who might be quitting their job and leaving their marine biology course and getting into being a restaurateur today? Take your time, really immerse yourself in in in, in, in food and travel, learn, read. Don't jump too early into the head chef that's sort of opening your own business mm. position. Take your time. I mean, I, I, you know, I graduated from school in 96, 97, something like that. And I opened my first project, Bacchus, was in 2006. So 10 years almost. 10 years. You know, but, you know, and, and a lot of my, my friends were doing it in less. But between those, between those two, those 10 years, I traveled to different places. I worked in, under a lot of different chefs. I saw a lot of different cuisines. And I started, you know, finding myself and finding what I wanted to say, how I wanted to do things. Yeah. You know, and then that was back with some, there was many, there was, what, now 12 years ago, 13 years ago. So um, it, it is, it is, uh, since then I've, I've, I've then adjusted, you know, he made that and I don't think it was a mistake. It was an amazing a project that I'm very proud of, but, but I've then adjusted myself as well. So yeah. I found myself even more. Of course. I guess, you know. So as we enter the, the last course of this uh, of this <laughs> podcast, he's a terrible fun. I want to ask you some more personal questions because we know oh. all about you as the businessman. <laughs> but I want to know about Nuno the man. Oh, God. Well, businessman, restaurant, chef. Man. Come on. <laughs> um, so who in the world of restaurants do you most admire? I love the independent free spirit. And that is reflected in, you know, a lot of projects have that. Yeah. I like, this is very controversial, but I like people, not chefs. Okay. There's incredibly talented chefs out there, but they're not, I don't think they're particularly nice people. Wow. And that, that, you know, and I feel like their food falls flat for me. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't support their businesses because I just don't, don't think that they're nice people. Yeah. And you I feel seem like, like a very nice person though, and you're a I chef. try to be, I try to be, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know, uh, you know, I think most people, I don't think they have ne- too many negative things to say about me, I hope not. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to, I'd like to think, I'd like to try to be a nice person. Of course. And I feel like ultimately, you can be incredibly talented as a chef, but if you're pricked and <laughs> it's just like, you know, yeah, you have no respect for me. Yeah, quite right. What do you think you'd be doing if you weren't doing this? I've always been... I've always been very passionate about music. You know, okay, first I have a, like a, a very geeky sort of funny uh, thing. Um, you know, I grew up watching Formula One and I think like, you know, okay. when I was very, very young, you know, like I, was, I used to follow Ayrton Senna. I, yeah. used to, I, I saw Ayrton Senna win quite a few uh, races. I saw him win his first race. I was in the studio, like he won it at the Portuguese Grand Prix in 1985. And I was really obsessed with race car driving. Um, and I was trying to convince my father to let me start go-karting when I was very young. He never did. Um, so I, I never really got into it. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I don't know why, but I, I, I liked, I did like, uh, I'm, I don't feel like I'm not a sporty person at all. Um, okay. But I liked race car driving for yeah. some reason. <laughs> but that was, that was kind of a silly, um, silly thing. Um, no, more seriously, I really, pa- I was very, been very passionate about music. And I find music is, one of the things that I set up, with the Love Project, that, that that for me was one of the most important things about the Love Project is to capture raw talent. Mm-hmm. You know, when um, the Love Project was set up, so that it was to give a chance to young chefs to have their first expression. You know, so we we seeked um, talented young professionals that were working for someone, working and 
under under another chef perhaps and they had their own ideas and they're brewing up and they're trying to find the creative expression mm. and that expression for me is such an important moment to capture that that raw you know going back to that raw feeling that raw emotion of being there and you know like i mean technically in 10 years they'll be much better but that raw expression and they don't they have nothing to lose they just push it all they do you know they can stay for three days if they want to just getting it ready just doing the best they can they don't you know they don't have to worry about fail like there's nothing all they want to do is just make it as amazing as possible mm. that raw expression is for me is is something very special and in music you find that as well when you see a band playing live for the first time and and yes you know five ten years down the line they'll be much better perhaps or but they'll be used to that perhaps if they're successful but that cap that that first time they go on stage that energy that raw energy that push that adrenaline that rush that that everything that that is there bottled in is coming out i find mm-hmm. that is amazing yeah um and i've always been attracted to music and that i've always been attracted to that moment of course um so i had a studio in my garage many many years ago in portugal and uh we we recorded demos and um you know seven inch uh, uh yeah. <laughs> eps for punk rock bands in portugal and we organized concerts and, Great. and that's and i had a band back in the day like, what was it called uh curzon coatica another mouthful maybe <laughs> one day i'll name a restaurant after that <laughs> <laughs> what does that translate to oh you don't want to know no, i'm not going to translate it <laughs> okay yeah, yeah. So, so what are you most proud of in your career so far uh i think still trying to do still wanting to do more mm-hmm. you know i think you know maybe some people just will get to a certain point and say oh, actually like i'm just going to stop here and but i don't know i still want to i want to do more yeah i feel like i'm not complete yet have there ever been any real kitchen disasters hmm. look you know so many so little you know not really you know like i mean you know everything it's all learning experience yeah. I think I think I'm a troubled person because I um in one side I want to do a lot but then at the same time I want to be engaged with my family and I feel like there's a it's hard it's hard to manage the two mm-hmm. and I want to do more professionally but then I also I feel like when I'm when I'm it, it's a strange feeling of when you're at work you feel like you should be at home and when you're at home you feel like you should be at work yeah and i think that this will continue for the rest of my career most likely you know will you um, ever i'm managing that do you think i don't know uh <laughs> i don't have savings so probably not <laughs> and okay. i still don't have a house <laughs> right yeah, still trying to get through the steps yeah. is is there one thing in the world you you wish you created it might be a song for example or maybe someone else's restaurant or their dish is there one thing you're really envious of that you didn't create i'm not an envious person but i appreciate beauty i appreciate uh you know amazing things right yeah. so i'm attracted to a lot of things but uh, but i'm i'm not an envious person i don't i don't i don't i don't look up to people and say shoot i wish i've done that no right. like i mean hey you know i i am reasonably content with myself and you know and and wherever this takes me wherever i go you know and i make mistakes and sometimes i get upset about making mistakes and but i'm always trying to do different things and i feel like this is you know because i'm not doing the same thing over and over and over again mm-hmm. i think i'm also learning it's the same thing with the cooking you know right i mean like you know it took me a long time to get it right but i i spent time working with different people and learning different things and it's part of the learning process right you know you put yourself out there and you different things yeah this is a question i i confess we don't ask to everyone but what's your favorite junk food uh my favorite junk food <laughs> tacos yeah that just about counts that's kind of got a culinary edge though that doesn't feel too bad taco i mean like yeah like i i look i love i love i love like street food like yeah i love street food from all over the world you know it could be like you know street food from japan or street food from southeast asia or from mm. from latin america or some european street food do you ever I, go to mcdonald's No. 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 Never been. Uh no, like I have, yeah. Like when I live when I live in Miami, like I um my uh one of my friends used to take me there. Um 
And at the time, I think, you know, it was weird. Like I was, must have been 16 or 17 when the first McDonald's opened in, in Lisbon, mm. the first McDonald's in Portugal. We had a Japanese restaurant 10 years at least before that, which is great. <laughs> yeah. um, I remember like big queues and I went to see it and, I, you know, and of course, look, I mean, you know, it's full of MSG. Like, I mean, yeah, like, how can you not like it? Yeah. It's like, it just, it just, you know, tangles. But, um, but also I remember like in Miami, like, like just being on the bus and like the smell of the, like the, na- like you, you walk into some of these places and the smell of it is disgusting. Um, so I'm very proud to say that my, my kids have only had McDonald's once and it was an emergency <laughs> and I was not in charge. Okay. Very proudly. Yeah. Um, so I managed to, uh, well, my partner and I, she's managed to raise them. I've, I've given as much support as I can yeah. to, um, to raise um, three children that are completely oblivious to McDonald's. So I'm okay. very proud of that. Well done. That's something to be proud of, actually. Yeah, quite Huge right. Yeah. In a city like London. <laughs> Is there any food you don't like? I hate bananas. Me too. Really fucking hate them. I hate bananas. That's my least favorite thing in the world is bananas. In fact, yeah, great. I tell you, even like in Well, today, that's encouraging. I'm right then. Yeah. Bruno Mendes. I just, like yeah, yeah, I just can't, just can't. Like this morning, actually, my, my, my partner is making a smoothie for the kids with a lot of bananas. Like, and I was like, fuck, it stinks. I had to, I had to like, the smell. I had to go outside and get some fresh air. Yeah. I just like, it's like, it's just too much. I just can't. Everything. I mean, I'm me. not eating one in years, but I, I, it's the texture as well. I yeah, texture, the smell. The, just, I just can't. <laughs> like, just, yeah. Okay. But apart from that, you'll eat anything, really? Pretty much, yeah. 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 Okay. Pretty much. What's oh. your most treasured physical possession? I have um, these two beautiful um, Jungmann's watches. Mm. The, the ones done with collaboration with Max Bill. I'd like to actually, at some point, have three... So I can have one for each of one of my children. Yeah, maybe they can inherit them one day. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I travel. I mean, I've I've moved around so much that I've lost most of my <laughs> thrown know, away or just lost along the way. Thrown away, lost along the way. Yeah. Just gave them to girlfriends or to friends or yeah. Just is there a book you most often recommend to people, or a book that changed the way you thought about the world? I think back in. Back in the sort of the hippie, well, not the hippie, but, you know, like, I can't remember when, I think early 90s, I think, perhaps, you know, um, Siddhartha by Herman Hesse, yeah. uh, Alchemist by Paul Coelho, I mean, like, kind of like, they're all kind of like these... Um, Spiritual. Yeah, I enjoyed those books. Yeah. I think they'll, you know, I really like Siddhartha. Mm. I like Herman Hesse's work, you know. Yeah. Steppenwolf is a pretty crazy, <laughs> yeah, very different from Siddhartha, yeah. but pretty insane. Okay. Very dark. Yeah. What's your idea of perfect happiness? I'm still trying to find that. Okay. I think that's a lifelong quest, you know. It's yeah. just having a balance, you know. I try to be nimble, and I think you have to be nimble in this world to be able to continue to move forward. But... um I'd like to have a, you know, I feel like not peace, but just be a little more at peace. I feel like at the moment I'm still not clutching at straws, but I'm still trying. I'm not, I feel like I'm not there yet. Yeah. Do you have, do you have a personal motto that helps you with that or perhaps a business mantra? Well, a friend, uh, you know, I'm not sure if he'll ever listen to this, but a, <laughs> a friend of mine used to say, um, you know, uh, and, and I, I, it stuck with me, you know, when you close the door, you open a window, you know, you close the door and you open a window. And then another friend of mine said to me, well, as long as the window's on the ground floor, <laughs> like, <laughs> which is a good point. Right. So, yeah, so I think, uh, yeah. So, and what would you take that to mean, <laughs> that there's opportunity even? You know, I think sometimes you just let, you know, you have to let things go and, and don't get too attached and, and, and. Sometimes you just say, look, you know, it's not working. This is not right. And you just move on. And then hopefully there'll be another, something else will come up that, that will then almost rectify that. Yeah. You know, I think things happen for a reason. And, and you know, I've, I regret very few decisions. In, my, in fact, I can't think of a major decision in my life that I can regret. I think that's a good thing. You know, I'm proud of that. Yeah, you make mistakes, but hey. But I don't regret things, you know. Brilliant. Nuno, thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) 
Thank you very, very much for listening to this episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight with more invaluable insights from the world of entrepreneurs. But until then, you can find us on our website, which is www.thegentlemansjournal.com. Or if you're so inclined, follow us on Instagram at The Gents Journal or indeed on Twitter at The Gents Journal. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you very, very soon.